Harvard Divinity School. New Voices in Poetry, April 10th, 2023. So welcome to the poetry program at the CSWR at Harvard Divinity School. Um, my name's Shara Bloor, and I have the enviable um, position of hosting these events and supporting the poetry community at HDS. Um, this poetry program has been running for quite a number of years now, um, and we've invited many very impressive people to um, speak. So Robert Haas, Kave Akbar, um, Robin Kost-Lewis, Fred Moten, lots and lots of amazing people. We've got Tracy K. Smith in a month. I was thinking, hang on, within our own community, we have incredible people who are publishing, who are touring, and they're not speaking at our events. So um, I want to make this a regular event that we invite poets from our own community who've come through workshops with us, and we celebrate their work together. So this is the first of those events. I'm sure there'll be many of them. People seem to be publishing incredible books all the time. I don't know how they're doing it. Um, these are these three poets, Tawanda Mulalu, Jess Yuan, Isabel um, Duata Gray. Um, they made a trinity for me because I was thinking about how they all brought me through um, and these books all brought me through the pandemic years. Um, and they've all been crucial in supporting a kind of community through that period. I've been in workshops with each of them. I think there might've been periods when we were all in workshop together um, with Joy Graham. And I saw some of these poems in their um, infancy. Um, they've all either contributed to, edited, or in the case of just even designed peripheries, which is our um, literary and arts journal. And um, yeah, they're obviously the people to celebrate as they've given us so much. Um, so I wanna think about these three books that came out during this period. So in 2020, Jess published Threshold Amnesia. In um, 2021, Isabel published Even Sean. In 2022, Tawanda, you published two books. How? How? Um, both Nearness, um, your chapbook, and Please Make Me Pretty, I Don't Want to Die. So these are the books that we're going to celebrate. And we're looking forward as well into the future, thinking Jess is publishing a slow render next year. I think Isabel's going to read from her new, her new book as well, which I'm really excited about. Um, so as I said, I was kept company by these poets during um, that period, and it was a really special period. I mean, hard, but incredibly special for us. I, I, we, we kept workshopping over Zoom often through it. Um, I ran all sorts of reading groups. My mother came. Um, <laughs> we all engaged with one another's like family. And Tawanda and I read some Lacan. Um, yeah, I mean, it was for me an incredibly creative period and what I was thinking of when I was like reflecting back on it is that it was a period in which we all had our solitude but we all kept each other company in that solitude which is the best sort of company um and I'm seeing 
these books through that lens, I suppose. So we're going to go in the order that the books were published. Um, so in 2020, Jess came out with her chat book and I still remember it was the beginning of COVID so we couldn't celebrate um, indoors but we had this really beautiful picnic. There was a cat. Um, it was very euphoric um, and so I should say something about Jess. First of all, I'm going to, I'm not going to give a long list of all the journals that these three poets have published in because they're just all the best places, obviously. And also the only place that matters is peripheries, of course. So um, they've all published in peripheries. That's what matters. Um, but I'll say a little bit about each part. So Jess, also very important that she was the designer for peripheries for a long period. Um, she also has a master's of architecture um, from Harvard. I think you're teaching studios now um, at Wentworth Institutes of Technology at Boston Architectural College. Um, and so, I mean, it's difficult for your first book to come out or your chapbook to come out just before the pandemic starts. And so I feel like we need to give it attention now, proper attention that it deserves. It, it was selected by Justin Philip Reed for the Yamasee Poetry uh, Chapbook con Contest. And I was, yeah, I was reading um, his account of it, which was really, I thought was really good, um, just to revisit the book. Um, I think certainly it is this archive of identity where, of, where you're taking these resources that are collaged. And he says, yeah, the collage things are estranged from one another and isolated and down every avenue you're given there's sort of no absolution um prom promised or false promises are refused and I thought that was really accurate even sort of love is a trap but I was also thinking his last line he says he quotes you and he says you say a space I'm going to get this wrong but there's this empty, a space or an empty space or is mine. And I thought actually that there was some absolution in that space that's allowed and this quiet space for letting one be and not imposing something on people. And I felt like that really connected to what I was thinking about, which was so special in that period for us, which was this kind of um, space to be together, but to preserve our kind of own isolation that we needed to go through, I think. So anyway, those are my thoughts on your um, chat book and let's celebrate that. And maybe you'll also read us some new poems too. Yes, um, thank you so much, Shira. Um, thank you so much for your reading of my work and um, for all of your reading as an editor and in workshop. Um, peripheries is really dear to me, and I'm I'm so grateful to be reading to this community. Um, I'm going to be reading some poems that were sort of from that pandemic time. Um, I think it was really a, a time of metamorphosis and, and transformation. Um, and so this this first poem I wrote after watching a How It's Made video on silk cultivation. Um, this is work song as silkworm, who renders each thread perfect whole, life's work and still only one of thousands strung up the loom, forming in the best case something lovely, 
but not always. And then for whom? Not for the love of it, weaving their enclosures, defining interiority on the cusp of transformation, then boiled and boiled to such soft uses, bending the use to the user. And we are meant to live with, build the entirety of our cultivations upon these antagonisms, which used merely as metaphor can be aimed at truth or against it, i.e. squashing which spiders wrapping cobweb over the wound. Yesterday, I inverted two Ziploc gallon bags over my hands to meet the hefty worm whose translucence extruded this compost, but would not touch its body, would not say whose world it is truly, not mine, but theirs, theirs to the core in the thick mud slab beneath our foil city, beneath the beloved 1 p.m. ray slanting into this rented yard, managed by their despised economies, enriching the deranged soil. How easy to ignore their work. How easy to be the stiff, disgusted human shadowing their mulch, forming opinions, crafting image by covering the silkworm in mulberry leaves, gathered by children who drink the silkworm stew, and while living alongside, do not make metaphor of the worm emitting the unbroken thread, the moth breaking the thread to emerge, the useless silk moth, or the arresting hand unraveling perfection from its dead. You cannot see the brokenness of others like your own brokenness. You are not sure whose side to take. Is the revolutionary the worm or the moth? Is my work the thread or its undoing? This next poem I wrote after watching the movie Wild Nights with Emily came out in 2018 based on some archival research from um, Emily Dickinson's work in um, that's in, at the Harvard Libraries. Um, great movie. This is if I had really known about Emily Dickinson, I would not have felt so sorry for all of us for fearing the pale attic loneliness of waiting instead throwing handfuls of my full colored dress at the warehouse gossip of church thinking if I had to choose life over art, then yes, let me be the impure vessel. Let me never write on love. Let me rock the backseat of Hondas parked in the far corner of the farthest parking lot, blue under the flat blue of this unromantic suburb. Better fingered in bathrooms than hidden away because I didn't know Emily Dickinson was gay this, and lived exactly how she wanted. This would have been crucial teen info, surrounded as I was by church auntie angst and suck it up buttercups. But now I write love poems all the time, writing who hasn't felt love, tripped into its puddle, drenched in unrelenting want, who hasn't suffered. Um, this next poem, um, is very much indebted to, to the workshopping of, of Isabel, Tawanda, and Shira. Um, untitled Landscape. Stillness in the snow is blown in foam, acoustic insulation. Stillness in the cloud of my first winter, plunging into it. Stillness commanding each quivering twig, dead load for the roof. Stillness along the gutters, each snowflake blurring past its target. Each snowflake knows the rules 
no map if they all fall downward, stillness if we follow the map, stillness in her meat hands fumbling for the doorknob dorm, embarrassed by, again choosing the doorknob numb and polished and impossible and round, then every vein needled awake, every pipe protesting, rattling hot air through the radiator, tree sap through its xylem base, reluctant with its sugars, its rudy demands, but needing, after all, to be a part of it, not only the part which sprouts and rises and curls, dries, is burned or excreted. I mean the branch which decides for the light and decides over and over to come back, yearly thickening its rings, the sheer mass of its work, the work of each one pound squirrel eating one pound a week, the work of that transformer, gnashing, refining, one cashew at a time, the work of accumulating, drop by drop, the lake of fat, which is all squirrels, the work of us stirring the vat. And then there is will. You think if I were mouse, I'd have the will to mouse, like thank God for my daily peanut. No. My next poem goes out to the love of my life. This is um, upon the occasion of our engagement. Also one which was workshopped by this group. Proposal at Great Lakes. How to find an opening before the inland sea, before the Columbian exchange, the great American peace, before Devonian climbers crawled to extinction along the sand scuff floor, lumping themselves into life through the churning jelly detritus. Everyone with their gaping pores of mouth, 10 trillion toothpins pricking one body through itself into another, how they form the world. I could let my hand scrape bottom, but I am afraid. Are you animal or plant? Are you home yet? Are you clean? I ask my stomach, that warm-blooded mammal, swimming shoulders down in the clear. Remembering, the gut shelters a rich colony. Each germ must live in the same bladder of a world. First they were alone and ate sunlight. Then they ate each other dead and living, one body of many. Then our organs began to join hands and cooperate. They saw difference, the foreign mess, made skin to separate the fleshy interior from its glass-shelled room and soap bubble globe. I am wearing it like our apartment, brick rubble washed into red pebbles, rebar between boulders at the pier, curly pondweed choking up the embankment, invasive flora as green as the real. Are we lucky it grows all over? Whale oil days of the lighthouse above a slow archaic current Ravenous lamplight thrown through clever shards of glass, industrious diminishing beam foundering out into the glacial bowl. It was just one man waving a flag and shouting. It was many men burning off the river's oiled sludge, era of what is chosen and what is not. Absence in the name of its root, long bloody years of the current, frothed and eroded and diluted and renamed, and then choosing its merging with a lake. Yes, 
water chooses the new form of the land by crawling it over and over. That is my choice, to crawl the garden with you, beloved crawler, in the world of what comes, opening out its wake in long trailing folds. I'm just reading my greatest workshop hits. So this next one um, was also one from that summer. I'm talking about joy. I mean, how I may never learn from it if there is always both yes and no catching porous and crumbed at the throat. And if you do not see it also, the underlying freedom, smooth stone tiling the swimming floor, rough stone tiling the world of these are summer years spent to hum one leaf then another, wanting the biggest leaf of them all, with a long line of everyone awaiting thanks and credit, God and history, inventors of refrigerant, deodorant, management and parent. Yes, you make up a part of it like everything else. You are stained in the dish also. And what is this culture I am a part of? Does each psyllium know? that the rest of it is a waste of praise, no praise for the institution, no wasting of sunlight on the asphalt's tar heat. It must fall upon the grass and leafy crown who makes something of it. Praise must be thrown there to the quivering strand of life on its own work, crushing the slimes together, new, new smells, useful, pinning up and taking their legs, eating tin, outgrowing our planting pots, our hermit crabs and baby shoes. And do I need another pot with no room on the terrace, this terrace with its corners, to sweep in muck under the great wheel of time cycling into its autumn, Cretaceous, hurricane my name, October, February, July revolution, portentous dodo birds shooting off their toes. It takes a great deal to imagine something other than that. Whatever we imagine now must know the slope and soil. I cannot draw up each doorway in the city where every one of them knows and agrees. I cannot draw up the map to that city. We do not believe in perfection. We are not sorry. We laugh into our wrists. Still, it is my most fervent dream. Still, we can earn scraps of praise from the dumpsters of possum, the crabapple drunk moose, Oh, to be huge and where the fuck we going? Still, it will matter at the city's edge and further where the snow hare must decide whether to cower in meadow browns or winter whites. I am not deciding. I am just telling you how hard we all try. My last poem that I wanna share um, was written for, for Isabel. This is Craft Talk on Pain for Isabel. Art being also the years spent laying plots for kindness. At five, gouging my knee on the slip and slide's plastic anchor, watching surprised, basking in sympathy beneath warm featherweight love. So unlike Neosporin, so greedy was I for more care. In the make-believe room of blue equipment, glass skin, iron lung, I imagine myself worth tending to, the ones around me agreeing, I peeled off each scab from its jelly. And this summer, emerging from our sea swim with speckled and red algae with my trauma bonding bitches, 
You thought the clinging seaweed was my bleeding leg, but pain is not what pierces us together. I recognize you to the neck in blue cold opacity submerged together in its shock, stirring hidden numbing elbows through its suffering soup, grateful to withstand the withstandable, trying to not take any of it personally, the scraping cold, the filter feeders muck, joy. And if I haven't learned my lesson, that's why I can't be an artist yet, owning what I weave from pain, taking offense, taking it personally, unmasking the relative safety in which I imagine myself unscathed, unable to mark even real outlines around the image of real safety, big blue dream of safety as a hardened plastic shell, water off a duck's back, hiding behind the ones who will hide me. Oh, water, you're pulling this cruel than wind knife crinkling shingled skin. So submerge me, so no one gets the last word. Thank you, those were my poems. Thanks for listening. That was so incredible. Did that just, that just um, introduce Isabel for me? <laughs> That's the perfect introduction. I don't know. It's really beautiful. I also think, like, to write an engagement poem like that and beloved crawler is just, I mean, it's so fantastic. Um, yeah, very hard to do that. And yeah, so successful. Um, okay. So, um, Isabelle, I mean, that, sorry, that poem. <laughs> that was just written for you made me remember, I wasn't gonna say this, but made me remember that I think it was about a month ago, someone we know who was sort of a bit distressed and a bit upset um, was sort of upset. I was talking to them and they said, I just need to speak to Isabel. And it was just this really beautiful moment of like, yeah, like sometimes you just need to speak to Isabel. Um, okay, Isabel. Um, so I hear you're an assistant professor of English now at Swanee, Swanee. I don't know how to say, okay. I'm gonna run out of the excuse that I'm not from America in about, I've been using it for eight years, but a bit longer. Um, PhD from Harvard, friend of us all. Um, you published this right in the middle of the pandemic and it didn't, you know, it. That was just an unfortunate time to publish it. It's really unfortunate and we really, really need to celebrate it because it is such a brilliant book. Um, Boston Globe, best books, uh, it's listed, uh, published by Sarah Bund. Um, you're raised in Kentucky and the book is set there, covers four generations of your maternal family. I reread the um, interview that you did with Edith, who was um, another person that was in our workshops, and it was so good. Everyone should read it. I think it's in full stop. Um, it's a really good um, interview. Um, in there, I'm going to just say some things about the book um, as a way of introduction. Revives the pastoral, um, not at all in an innocent or romantic way. Okay, reinvents this. This is a site as it should be of real violence, real poverty, 
people's lives, people's actual histories, intergenerational violence, gender-based violence, it's specific um, and it doesn't let anything be um, generalized or easy or I mean, it just hangs on to the specificity of each history and each person. I think I read in there that Jory said, this is very interesting, it's the point of a knife touching a map. It's such a good image. It's an incredible image. Another image, just like, I've had this for a while. I read it. How did I not notice that on this plant, a teeth, like these aren't flowers. I was like, nonsense. Um, but yes, this is apparently a Solomon seal. Um, and those are teeth hanging off it, which now makes sense because I did know that even Shaw as a um, name, even Sean as a name is a reference to your teeth are like a flock of sheep from the Song of Solomon. Um, so um, what else do I say? I mean, um, I don't know how much you're gonna read from this book or from your new book. I wanna hear the, a lot about the new book because I feel like we we were talking about it and preparing for it and um, we're all sort of waiting to read the next book so um, maybe I should let you read now um, thank you Isabel thank you Shira and thank you Jess that was so beautiful can you send me a copy after this okay I'll, I'll text you later um hi uh, I'm actually going to read from the new book exclusively just because, I don't know, I thought it would be fun and uh, we're among friends and I just thought it would be um, fun, maybe the wrong word. So let me introduce the book and then I'll start reading from it. Um, so the basic premise of the book that I'm writing about is, um, is that sexual assault is a form of epistemic violence and that we do not, I mean, it's obviously a form of physical violence, but I'm interested in it as a linguistic problem, as a discursive problem, as, as a way of failing to define human rights in a really fundamental way. And a lot of it is interested in the relationship between the social contract or the state and uh, the experience of being sexually assaulted. So I, I'm gonna start with um, the, the first set of poems. Uh, which are, they're all taken from specific Supreme uh, appellate court cases in various states. And I've uh, written about them and I have rules and so forth because I, I think representing sexual violence can be disturbing and frustrating and maybe not productive in a lot of ways. So I'm only going to, well, I'll give you a sense of what I'm gonna represent, but uh, just a warning, I will use some explicit language, but it's only language that's quoted in a public record um, a court, appellate court case. And you'll see what I mean. So the first poem is uh, the first state in the union, it's Alabama. Um, and the case that I drew it from is one in which uh, you'll see what I mean about the epistemic violence. Uh, a, a bunch of young girls in a middle school tried to uh, basically complain about sexual harassment. And so their administrator felt she couldn't take their word as it was. And so she um, tried to do a sting operation to catch this male student and she failed to show up in time. And so a middle schooler was brutally assaulted. 
And that's all I'll tell you about that. Uh, the only thing you need to know is that I'm going to read it twice. I'm going to read it side to side first and then up and down. Okay. Alabama. Hilvi Cundiff, 2015. I am a girl child where girl is defined by a hole in my lips are Alabama soil recomposed by a temporary order, the logic of protection, where protection is defined by a sap-stained hood that shields an engine of violence, where violence is defined by the hit and run that butterflied our mothers. Here, where girl and child cannot share one body, bleach stings the soft skin of my nose. Where girl is defined by protection we need from the man who protects us. Here, who loves us? I am a girl child. My lips are Alabama soil recomposed by a temporary order of protection. Here, bleach stings the soft skin of my nose. Who protects us? Here, where girl is defined by a whole in the logic, where protection is defined by a sap-stained hood that shields an engine of violence, where violence is defined by the hit and run that butterflied our mothers, where girl and child cannot share one body, where girl is defined by protection we need from the man who loves us. Uh, I'm going to do one more from this section just uh, and then move on to the ones that are about myself and I'll explain those. Uh, just warning, this one's going to have some graphic um, language in it, and I, it, it will be quoted, so I'll, I'll start now. So Arkansas, Henderson v. State, 2012, quote, the lips are clearly part of the mouth, and a rational juror could have concluded that appellant pushed his penis past the victim's lips as far as her teeth, which satisfies the statute's requirement of penetration, however slight, of the victim's mouth. Judge Wayman Brown. Uh, the victim in this case is around 11. We're gathered here today, ladies and gentlemen, to satisfy the statute's requirement of penetration, however slight. As far as her teeth, ladies and gentlemen, there is an insufficient evidence of penetration of adult bicuspids. In light of the evidence adduced here today, appellant engages another person who is less than 14 in holy or slight penetration. The statute of deviant sexual activity is gratified, ladies and gentlemen, when a rational juror pushes past the words of a victim's mouth. Um, <laughs> so the next set of poems are about my own experiences. Um, and. Uh, a lot of them were written in the summer that we've kind of been talking about. Uh, and so I'll just give you a brief version of um, what they were, which is uh, I was groomed by my high school history teacher uh, for four years. And um, when I when I found out, realized what had happened as an adult, I looked into it and it turned out I was one of somewhere between eight and 10 girls that he serially did this to. Complaints were made from the year 2005 all the way to 2018, uh, and including one of mine, which is in 2013, I provided a lot of physical evidence to suggest that this had happened and nothing happened. Um, so as a result, 
many worse things happened to other people than did to me, but uh, it felt to me like this sort of attrition of women's suffering was never going to weigh, like if you think of sexual assault as a trolley problem, right? Like they were not willing to allow a man to suffer any kind of public humiliation and it took 10 different girls um, to make to make it matter enough. Um, and a couple of things. So the way that we eventually got him, the school, he was actually under investigation for rape um, and the school was still not going to fire him. So I published everything uh, that I could find about him in an interview that I gave with a local news station. And after that happened, this is important for the poems, um, his mother died shortly afterwards uh, from a stroke. And apparently he kind of tacitly blamed me during the eulogy. Uh, so there's that. Uh, and then finally, one note is that the teacher who replaced him found my high school college application essays in his desk uh, after he resigned and they were 13 years old by that point. Okay, so I'm gonna read all of these all in one shot. Dear, there are two orders of living Americans, those with lingering doubts about the murder of John Benet Ramsey and those without. When your child size, the grocery checkout sells the postmortem contents of a six-year-old stomach at eye level, beside the other afterthoughts, the globe, the star, the Snickers, the juicy fruit. What is a child, if not a ransom note that babbles on? I've wasted more years than she had years, and all told she racked up more dead than alive. Pageant, from the word pagina, page. The mystery cycle, when old Europe pantomimes the word. Let us circulate the mystery of virginity. Let us remake a certainty of violence. Dear, they, they talk of losing it all at once, the way you'd lose a key or a game of Candyland to a neighbor's shitty kid. They do not talk of wind slowly scraping softness from your face or how funny it would be to find that softness tucked away in a drawer and think, we're still a little soft? Are we? Or are we all of us, the eight of us, the 10 of us, approaching range on the most scale reserved for women with their cigarette lighters virginally born inside the pack of parliaments? The way our landlady's was when I was 15, the day she planted bowling balls out front like seeds to a vine that led anywhere else. Dear, if I killed your mother, I am so sorry. I know nothing counts before the word but, but I had no choice. Each new day counts so little, yet I forget to remember what to forget. Churlish letters I wrote at 17, your class ring in my mouth, and a handful of hair, yes, my old hair, like the witch stirrups in an ornery horse's mane. I've never begged a man for sex before today, but every first time is a refusal of someone else. 
I still see you half expecting applause for her eulogy. And I can't love a man with words. I can't stomach what it is to be unloved and witnessed unloved in a single sentence. When each new minute is a chicken with its neck half wrung, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Dear, if I go to heaven, I want to ask, is there such thing as a tasteful lawn ornament? How does one improve a grass rhombus to such hue as to declare oneself bound by contract to poison all surrounding flora until Scott Pruitt's O-face leaks Scott Peterson's crocodile tears? A second question I'm saving is, when is pain real? Does it require two persons, one to throw and one to sign the affidavit? Is pain a compact between one person's body and the willingness of anybody else to see it? Dear, the only man who knows no diminishment is the hoarder. The headline of a Founders Day parade in Cairo, Illinois shares his mantle with his late wife's ashes. A woman you will never know says this vow of indiscrimination is vibrance, annihilating joy. The mind trepanned to the shape of things unbridled by their use, the parable of the sower, but in reverse. If you and I could manufacture joy, could swallow equally the grain of pollen and the lost thatch of broom, perhaps then, but only then. Dear, I tender words now only to one question. If reincarnation remains a child's nauseatingly sober, soberly nauseating party game, is this a rental? Did I put holes in the walls in the wrist-slitting years you called a bid for attention? If true, was I better than an ant drowning in a glass of absinthe? A hound licking Henry VIII's running sore. A warehouse of de-beaked chickens. The filament in all the lives that led here like the callback to an underwhelming deer. One look at your face, I know already you will never see inside a house without mass manufactured carpets. Beneath the floorboards, cousins dosed in future fentanyl statistics, Christ chalked up like a folk musician, his pain long killed and never resurrected. Did you marry him for the good years or to lap band the bad ones into portion sizes? Do not worry. I will love you still like rain, gone to ditch water, run off to the Cumberland, fled somewhere we will never see. Dear, if I die first, I offer you your first solicitation. Write my epitaph. I'll be, at last, your byline. Be likened. Suck the shine off a woman's name. Your mouth casts every word to caper, a long century's death march in a jingling shoe. 
each character at home atop an obelisk, a breastbone, a second mortgage, sprawled across a summons, a state line, a stride of final resting mediocrity. Proposition a child, print her name on the playbill, no callbacks, just the long unwinding of a patchy curtain. All comedies end in marriage, all lives hush like a woman's tongue. Dear, July night, fire alarm, thick air. I hear the backhand of each whistle slap, each stare. Hot rain rises from the trees, wings gutter at glasses. Really, you've done enough violence to the leaves, and these grasses weep in heat when sheared by your loudest engines as if for sport. I love the new balance stance of a man at his proudest who has done violence to an innocent lawn or simply to an innocent. You turn so bloodshot when you blush, caught up skirt a creeper bush, gone pink, just like a maiden thief. Not you, never, not a thief. No, just embezzler. Dear, I deserve to be alone. Uh, the way I taste only cloying things. Is there a handrail to hold? Here in this thin corridor, I'm ingesting every flower like the cure for being born. Even now, I embalm these eyes in cannabis and Kierkegaard and grubby old Anias Nin. No more of the slow motion bar crawl, the color of a dress I should not have worn. Remind me, who called this flower in French, the water's disquiet? Each petal is an eyelid oiled in blazing morning light. Oh, these magnolias shredding, shedding freshness. Surely some man has conquered the words. Stuff you'd need all four heifers' stomachs to hold down. How much longer do I hold this blush? Dear, remember days of our lives. Marlena was possessed by Satan and levitated too evil to touch her thousand thread count sheets. You said it was just her body. Marlena was gone. Was it obvious by the yellow contracts and the pack-a-day rasp of a woman who needs her hands busy? Is it something done to you? Just inhale when it comes your turn. God's plan piles too high for one generation, so I witch-dunk another benzo in this plastic cup. <sighs> I can hope for the best. The lifetimes we've lived between one drag and the next. What's the good in staying young when I never will be? Show me a gentle girl, I'll steal her face a minute. And what's the good in loving, trashing, dredging, bloating, burning, just one sorry body? Like that alone would end creation. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Isabel. I, I, 
I remember those poems so well. Like, well, I mean, the lawn ornaments and Marlena, Days of Our Lives, this is like imprinted in my brain forever. Um, but also the like incredible brave project. And I actually, I didn't say, but when I was like Googling, I came across the article um, that explained the background to this. And I was so happy to see it because I think when you started this project, I remember very clearly, you weren't giving us all the information. We didn't know who this was. You know, you were being very careful. Um, and like, it, it seems like it's all out now. And it's gonna be out in a way. I didn't realize you're gonna make it also a project about other girls' lives um, and other um, legal cases. Um, like, yeah, I can't wait. I mean, it's gonna be incredibly, it's a very hard like to be excited about a book, but also like, this is gonna be so hard to read. It's also gonna be so good. This is very, it's very difficult to um, know how to, yeah um look forward to it um I mean, your poetry has always made me feel like this but um but it's going to be important for people like that you know and your I think I mean when we're when I was introducing you that kind of bravery um is important for all of us yeah um okay um thank you <laughs> so wonder I have to um I always find this so hard, like going from one person to another person. It's like, we need like, uh, I don't know, what is it between smells? You like smell like some coffee or like, you know, between put your fingers in um, lemon water. So we need to do, we need some ritual in between each um, poet. Um, okay, Tawanda, 2022, we've traversed these years and um, somehow you publish Two, two books, um, Nearness, New Delta Review, um, this book, Princeton University Press. Um, I, okay, I have to say that, um, please make me pretty, I don't want to die, um, is named a best book of 2022 by Boston Globe, New York Times, Washington Post. I also discovered today that you, it's on Audible? <laughs> Everyone, it's on Audible. And guess who the reader is? It's Twanda. So like, we all have to listen to that. Um, uh, okay, Twanda, you're from Botswana. You were a student here. You are our very, very good friend. Um, I'm supposed to say something about what this book is about, um, <laughs> which, I, I, I was doing as I did with the other parts, like reading some interviews and some things you've said about it. And in one, you're talking about aboutness and how maybe poetry books, it's complicated what a poetry book is about. Sometimes that aboutness just happens to you and it's hard to direct. And it's, I mean, I feel like it's about everything that was happening at that time, um, living in America as a black African during that period. Prettiness, heartbreak, failure of intimacy, I think, um, interracial romantic relations, one of which is extremely complicated because it's with Sylvia Plath, um, which was gonna be really difficult for multiple reasons. Um, 
familiar familiarity, alienation, and hope. Um, working with those students, I remember you were a teacher's aide, right? Teacher's assistant, working with third graders and the kind of love you had for those students and the kind of hope they gave you. Um, and everything of life and in every form, sonnets, elegies, prose poems, everything of life and everything of your life, which makes it extremely special to us because it's you and we all love you and you can't help it. Um, so I hope you're gonna read some from this book or just anything you want. Um, I'll only um, read from, from the book because I don't have new poems, but um, first of all, thank you, Shir, for that intro. I love you too. I love you all too. And, and thank you everybody for coming to the reading today. I just want to say again how incredibly blessed I feel to, to have been able to workshop with, with y'all and, and Jory and, and, and Josh and them. Um, and um, yeah, no, I, I wrote this book when I was super depressed. And it's just nice to be on the other side of that insofar as one can really be on the other side of that. But having friends who pay attention to both your work and you as a person is an incredible blessing. So thank, thank you all. Um, I'm going to share my screen so you can actually see the poems because God knows what my lisp sounds like on Zoom. Um, so, yeah. Uh, if you don't feel like looking at it, you can. I think you can pin me on the screen and you don't have to look at the poems. Um, but yeah, I'll read a couple from the book. Um, this first poem is called Prayer, which I also workshopped with everyone here. <laughs> Prayer. Everything I like is like that man who first thought to take that picture of that starving black child waited for by that black vulture in that Sudan. I like what I write. I'm hurting myself by liking things. My words are maybe taking pictures of myself starving me. I tell myself stories in order to clutch my throat. My throat is clutched. Please make me pretty, I don't want to die. I want to sleep now. I know I am holding this so tightly with sleep. I know I am screaming towards this with my sleeping. People are not asking of us because they are busy. I am not asking of us because I am simulating being busy. What should we ask of in a world whose only word is work? This is the best deal. This is the unasked for gift. If I saw a starving black child, my first thought would not be to take this picture of myself. Awake. Everyone is dying. There are such pretty words for this. Prayer. Though I fail you generously and deeply, I fail you, vertebra, arpeggio, rosetta. I fail you, ribs, glockenspiel, rosetta. I carry a stone down with butterfingers and how early your shuddering mountain, mist, blue sheet music, sciatica, 
The long nerve stretches into aching fibers. It does not gift my black mother white wings. The earth looms again, Wagnerian heavy, and American cows stumble onto it with thick, warm gases, readied now to be minced through drive throughs Sweetly, you press tar onto soil. I examine pictures of us. My coccyx is gemstone. It waits for your eyes to fill it with light. Where I pressed my lips to you, flower me there. Nearly every gender humors me with silence. Nights I wish your thin nails come dancing. Nights I wish my legs look keener than purity. My mottled thing, I love you. My rattled thing, I love you. My embryonic curses, I muzzle you here as rose-tinted limbs. I promised you. They cannot see us here. Please, fail me harder. Fail me faster. Yes, fail me. Um, the next set of poems I'm going to read, they're called Film Studies. There's three of them in the book and the chapbook. Um, I don't really know how to describe them. Like, I like films. Um, I briefly dated a filmmaker. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Film studies. These black lovers on screen save themselves from concrete. Credits roll. Once my mother throws a burnt log at my father. And it must be like this, holding on to love's inevitable real. Once. The projection streams a finger corked into a heart, knife wound. I tell the doctor, let go. Unmind the dark jet when my finger returns to me. Narrative saves us. If mirrors disappoint, consider wide eyes, then flood cinemas with light to drain the mind. So look at trees mutually says landscapes. A history book infects them with bodies. I try a different bingo. I don't go on walks depending on the news. There's always news. The lens should not have considered us, but there's a block party in the sky. My ancestors sway. I take pictures to envy white people, to envy my Self, says mirrors, shut this door, walk away from lectures and stars. Schadenfreude, the physicists as this universe fails us one last time. The sun's bad season looms calm. Perhaps we send someone to look, die bravely to prevent supernova. My body floats, earth forgets me. The producers greenlight a sequel. Watch you finger the burnt popcorn at the bottom. Film Studies 2. I don't hate it here, nor my need to be illuminated or to find myself in a museum cautiously advertised in a pamphlet. The statues fall at noon 
we pull them to the sea. Midnight, I dive to press myself against bronze. How I enact white guilt, patina, fine. I hate it here just a little. Let's meet like parallel lines. The way you cut your finger while you snip film with that special knife. The source of the word cut. Cut past the resolving image of your scar. Cut past my breath. Leave reels. In the prequel, I am given a backstory. Critics adore me there. Holding gold at the ceremony, I mouth appreciations. I say, oh. Maudlin tongue, they stream me away. Someone as black as me drowns. I sip red wine. The image recedes. The water echoes. I hate that voice. I hear it here. It lives there in my teeth. Film Studies 3. I don't watch myself. Others watch them draw. You draw me with your lens. It asks where my skin is, bread films my right eye, its oddity, white dot in pupil. Where a doctor saw no harm, my mother eyed its lonely milk. See me gently inside while your lens seeks my white thoughts hidden inside my pupil's black. My thoughts I thought were colorless, or I thought you thought this, or hope this. Or what is your lens draw of me? You said you'd ask of the white dot, and you ask of everything but the white dot, the white dots draw of everything else of my skin, always the soft excuse for everyone to ask me of everything but me. My skin is everything, is everything and me, anything but me is me, but you ask. It does not belong to you. I can't make it belong to you. And my girl makes films. I write, everyone must draw. She is sometimes white. She is sometimes not. And I am black. I am sometimes not anything but black. It's drawing like breath. Brief gaps between my lips. Brief gaps between my teeth. My girl makes films. My girl is not my girl. I am not my girl's boy, not your boy. And what is being drawn if not who? And who is anyone to draw but love? Your lens here, my girl, my love, is what you ask with it, of me, of you of me, is it black?
it is nothing. It is almost me, almost black. Coax it and it breathes. Touch me and it breathes back. All right, one more for y'all. This one is called Poem About My Life Mattering and it's after June Jordan. Ask myself this morning, this usual, where is black life found? Surely not in an atlas given how they call the size of the continent down as carefully managed roach control, but other nights I hear myself singing down a well and it sounds a trumpet or at least the mouth of Joseph trying to have a good time, you know? When the stars decided to fly tanning on Mike Pence's picket fence hair, was that black life? And should I shed myself of that chitin and decide this black self? And so grow a spine, who must I show it to? I wouldn't recommend history either, but black life died for me to sip high fructose liquids with less ice. No matter whose skin I wear, I can't laugh at that. A parallel history is right next door and the neighbor's dog keeps barking my name. Thank you, everybody. Take care. I don't know to wonder how you managed like, to be so funny and so upsetting at once. It's so good. And then these lines that like the fail me harder. Like I somehow, like it's so good. And just at the end of that poem, the dog, like, uh, yeah, these lines that are just like so powerful. Um, I am just like such a big fan of all of you. Um, really, I just wanna keep reading um, your poems. So can you please just keep writing a lot and then we can keep doing this, you know? I can just keep inviting you and then we, I can listen to your poems that would be really nice and um so people could I mean we've got a little bit of time if people I mean Walter says that was fire yeah um if people want to ask questions um uh yeah do um otherwise I might just um ask each of you what's next um maybe in maybe we could go in order like go back to Jess and then um and just ask that see if anyone has any questions but no pressure to Jess sure so the questions what's next yeah I guess yeah um I don't think I've shared this with any of y'all but I'm going to get my MFA in the fall um and sort of after this time of you know struggling to make room for poetry while being an architect and well and then going to well going to architecture school and then being an architect um in which you know this crowd and joy's workshop was really my my anchor as as a writer um i'm really really excited to kind of have two years to to really just make space for my writing so that's what's next for me congratulations that's so fantastic i didn't i feel like i knew that or maybe i just expected it or something but it's, it's that's so great and that just that's going to just give you that time to write a third book now your third book which is ridiculous like amazing uh, 
um, Isabel, I mean, y'all kind of know what's what because I just read from the thing that's next. For I me. know, sorry. Uh, and and in terms of like where I'll be next year, I genuinely don't know because I'm in the job market, and so I'm in the middle of like, anyway not important. I'll either be in Connecticut or New Orleans or Utah or New York. One of one of those places. Um, but because yeah. You also, you also have a career as a scholar. Um, like this yeah. is what's amazing. I mean, Jess has actually just been an architect. I mean, Isabel is actually like doing, being a professor and like also producing scholarship, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, so getting a job. Yeah, I'm getting a job. That's what I'm in the middle of. Right. That's amazing. Um, I wonder. I kind of know. Um, yeah, um, like just I'm actually going to go get an MFA. Um, so deciding where I actually go. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I just resigned from my, my old gig. Uh, so not 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 in hedge fund land anymore so literally doing nothing my next immediate plans for the next couple of months is just to get a lot of sleep look stare at the sun well not directly at the sun but like experience sunlight and just feel as good as possible um just vibe yeah brilliant and I feel like it was my sort of I felt like it was my life's work to just make you leave that hedge fund yourself <laughs> to poetry I tried every method I got him reading Marx I was, <laughs> it was a concerted effort like from a lot of us so um I mean I I can't yeah I can't say that I it was my work that succeeded but I feel like um I feel very happy that you're doing that and bringing well not just because it's being recorded it was a good gig but oh, you I'm know sure. it was great I'm sure but I just think you're meant to be writing poetry in the world yeah no I'm, I'm very excited I'm I'm really excited and you know any excuse to be in community and write and hang out with y'all is is always an excuse worth taking so I'm very happy brilliant um so I don't know did I mention like that all the poets here just I mean they've published in some journals whatever but they published in this journal and can people like <laughs> um so this is this was the most recent issue of paraphrasing you can still get it at Crowley Poetry um uh bookshop and all these poets have been at some point in time in this journal or edited it or designed it and hopefully we'll be in it again and um yeah and maybe we could part let's just see give people a moment I feel like I always feel like it's a bit much to ask people to listen to like really intense three really intense readings they're really different and like take a lot of like work to recover from actually but you have to listen to them in fast succession and then by the way you have to come up with questions afterwards um I feel like it's a bit much if it, I feel like at issue at times like this I used to always rely on Isabel to ask a question um it was she was always able um if your questions Isabel do you have a question yeah I do actually <laughs> yeah I knew it <laughs> 
because I I've never heard Jessica read poems like one after the other after the other before you always usually workshop one and so you know I'm, I'm used to thinking of you as somebody who writes about um like the feeling of obscurity and, and objection really really well but I don't know that I'd ever really thought about you as a comedian but you are you're extremely fucking funny and I I just want to is that a quality that you've been cultivating in your poetry or am I just a, a, a limited observer of your work? Oh, thank you so much. Um, it was probably because in the years that we were together, I was like super depressed and not funny. Um, but thank you for appreciating that. I, 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 I try. You, you, you guys also are you know, super funny and beautiful people. I feel like everyone, all of you are really funny actually and very depressing like you've all got those i don't know how you're doing it but very very hilarious very very depressing all of you it's very confusing um yeah it's true that's squirrel chess and it was a squirrel right that was really good um any other questions isabel <laughs> or anyone I mean, uh, Alex, Alex, I noticed that, some, Tawanda, I noticed that some of your lines are deceptively simple. This is interesting. If you want to speak to that. Um, yeah, I get, and okay, wait, Alex is still typing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let Alex type some more and then I'll say something. <laughs> okay, she, she's, she's keeping on writing, I think. Um, so we'll come back to that. Isabel, were you going to say something or am I just putting you on the spot? Um, I guess I wanted to ask, uh, when you write, do you have someone in your head that you're writing for? Because I think all of us have very different attitudes toward our audiences. And I, I mean, obviously I'm writing in the second person so often so that I have an incredibly specific person I'm thinking of, but I, I was curious, like, who are you? So often a poem will have like an official thou and an unofficial thou. And I was wondering if you've ever thought through who your official and unofficial vows are and, and are, thous, and are there any like, I don't know, how, how do you think through who you want to read your poems? Um, personally, I, I tend to imagine an ideal reader um, just because for really bad and unhealthy reasons, I'm obsessed with canonicity. So um, I, I imagine a reader who would be able to pick up on particular references I make. Often the ideal reader is probably Black, I guess. And that's not intentional, but I think in some of the um, gestures I make towards Blackness, I try to keep them implicit. Um, so I guess that's my official vow. My unofficial vow is, um, I, I, I say this all the time, but I, I still remember being absolutely miserable freshman year and, and reading a bunch of Morgan Parker to keep me happy. And so my, my, I guess my biggest aim is, you know, some really unhappy, like <laughs> young, like freshman you know, uh, watching it snow in Boston, Massachusetts can pick up the book and feel better about themselves. Um, 
Right, yeah. It's a really good question, actually. Like really interesting. Jess, did you have an answer to that? Oh, yeah. Um, I guess I um, for so long thought of, you know, poetic practices just writing to myself, like just journaling um, that I, I guess I didn't really feel that there was some person who was the reader. I think it was more about addressing my inner child or kind of that sort of embodiment of voice. Um, but I, I don't know, literary spaces are so special. And so whenever I feel like the need to be inspired, I just remember the warmth and love of, you know, creative community. Um, what about you, Isabel? Yeah. Well, no, Isabel has very specific though. Well, the official thou are usually uh, unstated people who are extremely specific. I think the thing that tends to differ with me a little bit, at least definitely from Tawanda, and I think also from Jessica, is uh, my attitude my, towards my audience can be really angry, not to say straight up contemptuous. And I think a lot of that comes from like the space of where I was writing that all the things I wanted to say could not be said uh, yeah. for one reason or another. And so I just feel like sometimes I'm trying to put a cigarette out like on my reader's arm. And I, I, I don't know why, uh, like I don't actually want to treat my reader poorly by any stretch of the imagination, but there's some part of me that's like, if you're gonna be invited into this experience, uh, you have to pay the price of pain. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why I'm like this, uh, it's a problem. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad attitude to have, A, given the subject matter and societal attitudes towards it, that I think is a politically useful attitude. And then the second thing is, like, I think some of the most significant poems of the last century, like, were straight up contentious to the, to the reading audience. I mean, prototypical example, of course, is Eliot's Wasteland. And I mean, yeah, sometimes that's annoying, but sometimes it's genuinely fun for a reader to, like, have to do in the actual work to match the brilliance of the poet in particular I think for you it's actually an extremely appropriate attitude because you're straight up a genius so like the contempt pushes us as readers and listeners to match your energy um so <laughs> but uh, I, I I do want to quickly answer Alex's question um Alex's it's like gone on so oh yeah yeah I, I, I the question is like read it yeah oh yeah um Sorry to refer to myself in the third person, but okay. Donda, I noticed that some of your lines are deceptive, deceptively simple and they choose to elide a particular aspect of themselves to betray a feigned wholeness. Other lines are juicy in their diction and rich to the point of being abundant and flamboyant, ecstatically overwritten. You talk about when you allow yourself to enjoy the juice of language and when you choose to pull back for something more sedate. No worries if you don't have thoughts. I have thoughts. <laughs> um, Part of that is, okay, so like I'm a big Hopkins stan and, um, you know, like I love how vibrant he is with, with his language, but at the same time, um, you know, when you're in the mode of workshop or, you know, people are telling you to call your lines a certain way and in an effort not to embarrass myself with my eagerness towards sound, I try to pull back a little bit. But mostly I think it's about 
the emotional logic of a, of a particular poem and you know like I, I, I like thinking of poems and in, in, as music and, and Jory always gave the advice of thinking of as a poem as a piece of music in terms of how you vary alignments and so on and I think of that also in terms of like the I guess the juiciness of the language to use a phrase Alex um, that there's some moments in the emotional logic of the poem where you want that sheer exuberance and ecstaticness and just want to be flowery and Latinate in your verbal usage. And then other times where it's like, just saying like, this is the very simple thing that I felt. <laughs> There's nothing more complex to make out of it. In fact, I'm a little annoyed that I'm going towards the space of the poem to tackle this feeling because I, for some odd reason, I'm too stubborn to commit to the simple feeling. Um, and I think, this is particularly an issue when I was writing about the kids I used to teach because my feelings towards them were very simple. Like I liked the kids, I loved the kids. And then I'd be like, well, why do I like them? There has to be a reason. There has to be like, is it because they're so like philosophically young and can generate thoughts in the future? It's like, no, dude, you like them. And it was okay to just make the language simple um, during like feeling, simple feelings and, and make it more chaotic when I felt chaotic. Yeah. I don't know if that helps at all. It's really good. We have a question. Um, I feel like we should answer. It's kind of important for everyone. Uh, so Amber, it's to all of you. Thank you all so much for sharing today. How do you make time to be creative and write and workshop your craft while having a full-time job? I'm going to listen very carefully to your answers now because I was with you during the pandemic. I don't know how you guys have managed to do so much. I'm still like in the exact same position I was in. So Okay, let's listen to them now. <laughs> How have you managed to do this? To keep writing? Um, I, I think it's a, a great question and I wish um, there were an like a magical answer, but I, I think it's very hard. And I think everyone who struggles to like build a creative practice needs to do what they need to do to, to make it happen. And, um, and I, I definitely struggled um, to make room for my writing um, for a long time. And I used to really feel bad about it too. Like I, I think uh, I needed to forgive myself and um, accept that sometimes, you know, you need to do less in order to make room for art and you need to, um, and, and often like, you know, I couldn't do less. I needed to, you know, do what I needed to do to make rent or pay off debt or take care of myself. Um, and so I, I think it's so important to be generous to yourself and to, um, like you know value the parts of creative practice that are nurturing and you know I, I think it would be amazing if all we could do was you know just write all day and I, I feel like really privileged that that can happen sometimes with MFAs and residencies and fellowships and stuff but the real kind of core of what brings me and I think many of us continually back to poetry I think it's something that has sustained me even in times when I really didn't have time for poetry. It was the energy, the generosity, the kindness and the nourishment of poetry that kept me staying with it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's very hard to, to work and to write. I, I wouldn't recommend it. And yet so many of us have to do it out of necessity. Um, but yeah, I think it's such an important question. And one that I ask people all the time too. Yeah, we need to be talking about it, definitely. Isabel? So 
it kind of depends what I'm doing. So when I was like finishing my dissertation, I didn't find it that difficult because, you know, I, I was alone all the time. And I think the isolation of COVID like really helped with, with the writing um, in the sense that I just had too many feelings and nowhere to put them. But since I've been teaching, when I'm teaching, it's extremely hard to write. And it's because all my emotional energy goes into like talking to students, thinking about them, hearing their stories, like uh, prepping for stuff. And it's not just the time, it's the emotional, like the affective energy. Like I have an incredibly small reserve of energy. And um, and so uh, I cannot write when I'm teaching. Uh, but fortunately, I teach, so I get breaks um, in between those things. And then um, usually I just have like a couple of truly crazy days where I write a lot. Um, and so I think the answer is I, I have chosen a profession that has certain periods in which you can be more fertile than others. Although, oh, I wanted to say before, like, before we, uh, break apart, uh, that if y'all haven't, so Amanda Gunn's book, she was part of this workshop. She workshopped with us. So I just read, I, I got an advanced copy and it is un believable and you have to buy it and you have to get her to sign it and so it's called things i didn't do with this body it comes out next month with copper canyon go buy that book it's oh i'm, I'm very very excited yeah. about that and definitely i mean the next event has to be amanda darius i mean laura a lot of people like we need to get them all together it's very important so wonder writing yeah, totally want to second what Isabel said about Amanda's book. Pop the link in the comments. Go, go pre-order that joint. It's 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 spectacular. Um, I just got my copy too, so I'm very pumped to dig in. Um, writing while working. Um, forgive the convoluted answer. I'm just going to respond to something that Shira said earlier when um, she said, um, oh, I don't know how you guys uh, did this because we were in the pandemic together. And I think well, actually, Shira, you wrote like a lot like of things, not just like your poems, but also like dissertation stuff. And I think a lot of the, I think this is coming to something that I think about a lot about the difference between writing and publishing. A lot of the times when you're like not working, you're probably secretly writing. Either you're thinking about a poem or you're thinking about a turn of phrase or, you know, if you enjoy listening to like rap and hip hop, you're reciting lyrics to yourself or like inventing freestyles for yourself while walking or going about your day. So there's lots of secret writing that people yeah. do all the time that I think is worth respecting, um, both so you like chill yourself out. <laughs> Don't think you have to like write like some epic odyssey shit all the time, but also because you can't predict everything that's gonna happen with your brain at any given moment. So enjoy the secret writing. The second thing um, to be like more materially like accurate with like how things went with me um, personally, uh, during the pandemic, I, I was working as a third grade teacher assistant and also had a bit of money from the job that I was going to do because I got like a signing bonus. So even though I was under, underpaid as a teacher assistant, like when the day ended, I didn't have to like grade stuff because I was an assistant. So I went home and for the first couple of three months, I did nothing and stared at the ceiling because I was sad. But then after that, it was like, okay, I'd like to not just be sad. I don't have to do a second job. Also, legally, I couldn't do a second job for immigration reasons. So I was like, okay, fuck it, all right. 
Um, so trying to finesse things with your with your job situation, I think it's one of the best bets of finding time. I recognize that's not always possible, but every once in a while you can finesse something. And then the last thing is finding organizations that understand your your like working situation. So Brooklyn Poets, I think, is an organization that's been really important to my development as a poet as well outside of workshop space. They do lots of weekend workshops on Zooms. On Zoom, they do like a year-long mentorship program that assumes you're working full-time, which is kind of like a mini MFA thing. So organizations like that, that know you have other shit going on and you're with other people who have other shit going on. So you respect each other's time and you respect each other's like energy and, and grind. Um, but above all, I think genuinely like remember that writing isn't publishing, don't stress yourself out. Um, like I personally psyched myself out and it's not a process I'm eager to repeat. I just wanna write because it makes me feel less alone. So don't, don't ignore your secret writing. You're probably writing right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listening as well. I mean, we're picking up all of each other's musics and images and it's helpful. It really helps. I think Jory would say to us at some point, it's like, I should say, just wake up an hour earlier every day, you know, this sort of advice. Or um, I always feel guilty. I would never do that. I mean, she makes it sound, of course you can do that. Or like just work 15 minutes every morning. The other thing I'd say is that for people who are in in this time zone, um, this poetry program we're doing, like sometimes we do get poets to come and visit and workshop with us. And if you like haven't had, if people in the audience haven't had the chance to workshop, I'm sure there are people who haven't, like you should get in contact with peripheries on the Twitter or on Instagram and like contact us and we can get you into some workshops and I think having that kind of that experience is very inspiring and also having a community the other thing Troy would say to us is I take solace in this like when you've been in workshop if someone publishes a book we've all published that book like I do feel like <laughs> I, I was a bit involved in the this wasn't I <laughs> like um, you know, it it can be a communal exercise and maybe, yeah, we don't need to publish. We can also just write for our friends and sometimes one line sent to a friend. That's also really good, you know. But yeah, people should be in contact if they want to um, workshop and support writing. Okay, I'm aware. Right on time, guys. Um, so um, let me thank you all. And um, I am excited to read more of your work. I'm sure so is the audience. And yeah, I also just like love seeing you. So it was really nice to spend this time together. Thank you, Shira. Thanks, Shira. This was dope, y'all. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Sponsor, Center for the Study of World Religions. Copyright 2023, President and Fellows of Harvard College.